I'll show you that video this morning because I think it really does capture the heart of the second family. I've been on this church staff for 13 years. And when I listened to that video, when I listened to Dr. Young, that was just back in November when he, when he said those words, it resonates with me. And I say, yeah, that's who we are. That's what we're about. That's the heart of our church. Aren't you thankful for our church that we have that heart? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the heart. I want to talk about the heart that we have as a local body of believers. And here's the thing about it. You think about this. Institutions, companies, organizations have a heart. They do. They have the true north. There's got to be a guiding set of principles that keep them heading in the right direction. There's a certain set of values or ethics that they hold and they say that's the heart of who we are. Relationships are the same way. Those of us who have been married, we know this. Families have a heart as well, and you've got to keep that heart at the center of your relationships. And we could all share stories about either endeavors we were a part of, organizations we've been a part of, families we belong to, where once the heart, once we lose sight of the heart, and once the heart is gone, we lose our way. And we could all share devastating personal stories and examples of how that's played out in our lives and in the lives of those around us time and time again. It's so important to keep the heart. I wanna show you a picture. I'm gonna give you permission to laugh out loud, make fun of me. Go ahead and look at this picture on the screen. Be, be nice. Yes, that's gum halfway hanging out of my mouth. That's my first date back in the summer of 1998. And there's so many questions that are answered in that picture. Chief among all, yes, I've always dressed in a strange way. And it's clear. And yes, at one point in time, I was into hemp. I don't know why, but I've got it around my neck right there. Um, that was our first date. I had been clean and sober for just a handful of weeks. God had just gotten hold of my life. Well, thank you. It's so kind of you. I'll take that. Some of us have been on that journey. We understand. God had gotten hold of my life. I'd, my heart had been transformed, and God was doing some great things in my life. I picked up my, my soon-to-be girlfriend, who would later become my wife, Kristen, that night to go out, and I took her on a romantic dinner to the Crossroads Mall food court in Oklahoma City. We dined at this fine eating establishment called Garfield's, and I took her to see the 1998 classic chick flick, Lethal Weapon 4. <laughs> and somehow, someway, I got a second date. So, how do you like them apples? But I want to show you a second picture. Look at this next picture. Fast forward 24 years later, my beautiful bride and a large bow tie just a few months ago at my sister's wedding. And I show you those two pictures to kind of create two periods of time, 24 years in between, to let you know our relationship has been the same way. That early picture you saw, I can promise you, we were learning how to have love and forgiveness and patience 
and understanding. Those things were at the heart of our relationship early on, and we had to keep those things alive over and over and over again during this 24-year period. Scripture speaks a whole lot about the heart. Time and time again, you read Scripture, you're going to see things on the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, 23, what does it say? Above all else, guard your heart. Jesus talked about the heart a lot. He said, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, what shows up in your life comes from your heart. There's that great verse from Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't lose heart. One of the first songs I learned as a young Christian, that classic hymn, Come Thy Fount. I've always resonated with that, with that song. What does it say? Prone to wander, Lord, I fear it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We have hearts that are prone to wander. We have hearts that are prone to be distracted, to get lost, to get mixed up. And it's important for us to revisit on a consistent basis the heart. So that's what I want to do today. I want us to look back at the heart from the start. Okay? It's clever. It rhymes. The heart from the start of the early church. And so go ahead and open your Bibles up with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Just two simple verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. We're going to look at the heart. The heart from the start of the early church. There's four particular things I want to pull out of this scripture. Let me just say this. There's more we could go into. We've got time for four. Let's pray before we get started. And would you do this with me if you're comfortable? As we pray, would you just put your hand on your heart? Just go ahead and put your hand on your heart and pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, help me to hear from you today. Speak to my heart. Move in my life in a powerful way. God, I want to hear from you. Remind me of the heart that I am to have as a follower of Christ. Father, speak to us loud and clear. Help me get out of the way. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look at this text with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. It says this, real simple. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now in this, in this period of time, what's happened? Jesus has ascended into heaven. Pentecost has come. He's given the disciples, his followers, the Holy Spirit to lead them and to guide them. Peter preaches that powerful first sermon. Then we have the end gathering. The church is starting to come together. And we read these words. We read these words of what the early church began to look like. We read these words about the heart that the early church had. And the first thing I want to pull out and show you the type of heart the early church had is in verse 41. 3,000 people were added. What did the early church have? It had a gospel heart. A gospel heart. You read the New Testament. You, you can't help but see time and time again that the early church 
was always sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone that would listen. But that gospel, it's really important you understand, it wasn't just words. That gospel to them was sacred. And we live in a world today where the gospel has been uh, changed and watered down and tweaked. And it was no different in those days, right? I mean, the early church was facing all kinds of persecution, all kinds of pushback, and they had to continually make sure that that gospel stayed pure. And so when you look at the gospel of the early church, two things I want to point out really, really quick, okay? The early church in their gospel had the right content, the right content. What was the right content? Real simple, who Jesus is and what he had done. Who Jesus is and what he has done. Do you understand something, church? The minute you add something to Jesus, if the gospel becomes Jesus plus something, it's no longer the gospel. It's heresy. The gospel is always who Jesus is and what he's done, and that's it. I mean, you read Galatians 1, that whole chapter, what is Paul doing? Paul is pushing back on people who want to change, tweak, modify, water down, add something to the gospel. And he says this, there's that great phrase. Galatians chapter 1, Paul has this great phrase. And he says, it's God's gospel. It's the possessive tense. It's God's gospel. In other words, it belongs to him. It's for us, but it's by him. He authored it. He owns it. And it's for us, but he wrote it. It's God's gospel. We can't change it. We can't tweak it. We can't modify it. The early church knew that. Their gospel had the right content, but it also had something else. A powerful and personal confession. A powerful and personal confession. The content was always there, but as you read on, Acts chapter 4, verse 20, it says something real simple. It says, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul to Paul, what happens? It says in that text, something like scales fell from his eyes. One of my favorite words in all of Scripture. Immediately, immediately he began preaching and teaching in the synagogues. What was he preaching and teaching? The gospel and how it had transformed and changed his life. Content and a confession. The early church had a powerful gospel they were sharing with anyone who would listen. What's the second thing we see in this scripture? Look with me really quick, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. That word, that phrase, continually devoting, it means to be strong, to endure, to be steadfast. The early church had a steadfast heart. They were committed. What were they committed to? Community. They were committed to community. There was a simple pattern that existed in the early church, a simple pronounced pattern that you see time and time again. The, the great well-known pastor, W.A. Criswell, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas for so many years, wrote about this. He said, the early church practiced a simple pattern. Look on the screen. It's, he said this. He said, they heard and they received the gospel. They followed with, what? Confession and baptism. 
They united in fellowship. And here's the word. They remained in fellowship. They had plenty of obstacles, plenty of reasons not to come together. But the early church had a steadfast heart. They knew how important community was. They didn't complicate community. They kept it simple. You know how you complicate community? When you put yourself in the equation. When community becomes about what you can get, what you need, me, my, my wants, my desires, here I am, make me feel good. I'm looking for a reason not to come back. We make community complicated. Community is something we're created for, commanded to do, and called to do. We're not created to be in isolation. We're created to interact. We're created to be integrated. One of the most powerful things I saw in the last two years I was standing right over here behind this camera. On Mother's Day, when we opened back up our doors after being shut down for four or five weeks when COVID first came on the scene. We closed our doors for four or five weeks, began working furiously to prepare to open back up and all that that entailed. And on Mother's Day, we did just that. And we were all a little curious as to who was gonna show up. But I stood back there and I watched people come in this door, come in these doors and come into this room. And when the first song began and when worship started, there were tears in the eyes of people all across this worship center. And I was moved. I was right back there. I was emotional. I thought, what a powerful picture. What a powerful reminder of how important community is. And when it's taken away, we're reminded of how much we need it how God created us for it, how it's in our lives to help us do the things he's called us to do. God gave us the local church to do what? To grow us, to nourish us, to help us become the people he has created and called us to be. The early church had a steadfast heart. Third thing, real quick, it's in the scripture, look at it. Once again, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The early church had a hunger for truth. The early church had a hungry heart. A hungry heart. Before Bruce Springsteen said it and wrote it, the early church had it. They had a hungry heart. They wanted to be transformed by truth. They knew the importance of teaching. They didn't have this thing called the Bible, they could open up at any time or pull up on their iPhone. They would sit in community so they could hear the teaching of the apostles. Why? Because they wanted to be transformed by truth. When you read the scriptures, when you read Acts, you know what you see more than anything else in the book of Acts? More than any other emphasis or spiritual focus or spiritual action in the book of Acts, you see more than anything else is the apostles' teaching. Don't believe me, listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 42, our verse. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Verses 8 through 12. 19 through 20, verse 31, 33, all of chapter 4. Go to chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. 29 through 32. 
verse 42. Flip over to chapter 6, verse 2, verse 4, verse 7, verse 11, verse 13 through 14 of all of chapter 6. Bounce over to chapter 7, verses 1 through 53, all about the importance and, the, and keeping the teaching of the word primary. A lot of you don't know when you stand on this stage, you know what's above you? Stained glass. You know what's in that stained glass? Every book of the Bible is represented in the stained glass that's above me right now. What does that communicate to us? That we are underneath the authority of God's word. His truth inside the second family is primary. It leads and it guides us in every thing that we do. I brought with me a little something here today, a little show and tell. This was my first Bible. You saw the picture of me in the summer of 98. My mom and dad got this Bible for me shortly after I gave my life to Christ. It's been duct taped for like the last 15, 20 years. It's been used, abused, but it's been with me in good days and bad days. I fell asleep reading this Bible the night my father passed away from cancer. I've read this Bible in the midst of turmoil and, and, and difficulty. I've read it as I've spoke and preached and taught and tried to love and lead well. This Bible was one of the, one of the only things I had in my life when I gave my life to Christ. He sat in, my, in the bunk bed of my bedroom, top bunk, and I would read that Bible right there as a new Christian. I didn't know a lick of what was going on in it. I didn't know what all of it meant, but I can tell you this, when I spent time in it, it transformed me. I didn't have to know a lot. There's this movement, I think, in Christianity where we've, we've bought into this lie. When we become a Christian, we have to check our brain and at the door. It's like some type of anti-intellectualism that exists inside the church. And I love this quote, it's on your screen, by John Stott, he says this, anti-intellectualism anti and the fullness of the Spirit are mutually incompatible because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. It's the Spirit of truth. What does God give us when we become a Christian? The Holy Spirit, it embodies us. What is it? It's the Spirit of truth. Why is it there? To lead us, to guide us as we read his word, as we interact with his truth, to grow us, to develop us, to mature us into Christ followers. We are embodied by truth. And that truth is meant to transform. And that truth is meant to create a foundation for us to stand on and live life on top of. You know why? Because life is hard. It's hard. It's been a hard week inside the second family. I won't go into details and share with you all the stories but I can promise you this, it's been a hard week for a lot of the people inside this church. You know what they need more than anything right now? Truth. What always comes in our lives when we start to hurt, what always inevitably shows up on the scene in our lives when we're hurting, it's lies. The father of lies. When we're hurting, the enemy loves to whisper lies into our life to cause us to doubt who we are, to cause us to doubt what God has for us, to cause us to doubt who he has created us to be. In those moments, we need God's truth to remind us. 
to hold us secure and steadfast. I'm thankful for God's truth. The early church had a hungry heart for God's truth. Last thing is this, look at the text. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And to fellowship. The early church had a loving heart. A loving heart. Because that word fellowship doesn't just mean coming together. It's the Greek word koinonia. And that word koinonia is much more than just hanging out and having a good time. That is a word that describes a close-knit community that is deeply involved in the lives of each other. They are doing life together, loving each other, caring for each other, sharing collectively whatever it takes to do life. That's the type of fellowship that the early church experienced. It was so foreign to that world. It was so unique and so different to that world that the Roman government took notice. The Roman government was so enamored by this ragtag group of Christians that they actually sent spies into the early church services. Tertullian, early church historian, writer, author, first century, he writes this. Listen to what he said. When the Roman government became suspicious of the early church, they sent spies into their services. The spies came back and said that the Christians were a peculiar type of people. They did not have any idols. Instead, they worshiped one by the name of Jesus. Then they added, listen to this, how those Christians love each other, how they have fellowship with one another. What stood out more than anything else about the early church was how it loved, how it loved, how it took in those who were abused, marginalized, cast out, the ones who were hurting and broken. That's the type of heart that the early church had, a loving heart. Can I tell you something? You belong to a church that needs your help. We need your help to love people. Every weekend, every week, we have thousands upon thousands of people who walk through these doors. Question for all of us, what are we doing? What are we doing with our time, with our talents, with what we've been given to build and to grow and to serve the community? And the conversation inevitably always becomes this, if I just had more time, if I just had more Talent, I'm not a great teacher, I can't. If I just had more money, I could. Let me help you understand something. God has given you all that you need. Look at this picture. This is a 97-year-old lady. Her name is Mrs. Glass. She lives in Toronto, Canada. She's legally blind. But with her limited eyesight, she began to notice something she began to notice that a lot of the homeless teenagers that lived just outside of her home were walking the streets of Toronto in the dead of winter without any hats. Now, Mrs. Glass grew up in the Netherlands, where it's obviously pretty cold in the winter. 
and she had been knitting hats, scarves, and gloves since the time she was a child. So she saw these teenagers with no hats. You know what she did? She decided to do something about it. So last year, Mrs. Glass, with her limited eyesight, her limited resources, knitted 75 hats for homeless teenagers. You know what you need to love? The passions God has given you, the position he's placed you in, and the possessions he's blessed you with. In other words, love from where you are with what you already have. Love from where you are with what you already have. Friends, God has given you everything you need for life and for godliness. What are you doing with what you've been given? The early church had a loving heart. I thought long and hard about a way to wrap up this conversation today. How do I really encapsulate the heart of, for the gospel and a steadfast heart and a heart for truth and this loving heart? And how do I really communicate that to wrap up this conversation today? Kind of want to put all those things in a bowl, stir them up and give you something. And I thought about the story of Derek Redman. Derek Redman, 1980s British track star, childhood prodigy, ran the 400 meters as a teenager, experienced wild success. 1988, he makes the British Olympic track team to run the 400 meters for his country. Lifelong dream, there he is. In the beginning part of the early stages of the 88 Olympics, he tore his Achilles heel. Eight surgeries later, eight surgeries later, he's worked long and he's worked hard, rehabbing, getting back in track shape for the 1992 Olympics. Guess what? He makes the team again. His father's so proud of him. He's watched his son hurt and scratch and fight to get back. So his father comes to the race, shows up at the Olympics to support his son. Derek is flying out of the blocks. He has the fastest time in the opening heat of anybody. Makes it to the quarterfinals, obviously, does it again. Has the strongest time in the quarters. Makes it to the semifinals of the 1992 Olympics. Starter gun goes off, he begins to run that race. Something happens on the back half. And I think, church, I think it's a beautiful picture of what community looks like, what community is in action. I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. But I want you to watch this, watch what happens.
when troubles come and my heart burdened be then i am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me you raise me things of what life looks like. It's hard. All of a sudden, something happens and you're hurting. You're limping around the track. It's when you need community. Some of you are in that place. Some of you have been doing life alone. You've been doing life by yourself. You've been maybe coming in and checking out and hanging out, but you're not committed you're not inside the second family. It's also a beautiful picture of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God came all the way down from heaven in the form of his son to rescue us, a father that loves his child so much 